Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I also have to let you know that our, our last volume, volume 39 of Elwin Hubbard Presents Rise of the Future is available in bookstores throughout the US, Canada, the UK, South Africa, and Australia, as well as through all major online retailers. So whether you're looking for discovering top new voices in the genre or an aspiring writer or artist looking to see what these artists have done to win, this book is for you. Today's guest is Matthew Wolf. Lucy, one of my fellow staff members at Galaxy Press, met Matthew at a book signing at San Diego Comic-Con earlier this year, and then we subsequently met via email. I was referred to Matt uh, by Lucy. She mentioned that you might be a, a good fit for this podcast, so we wrote back and forth. Uh, we met at the Fanex in Salt Lake City. At the very end, you came by and we uh, exchanged greetings, and then you gave me a copy of your book, uh, The Knife's Edge, book one of the Ronin Saga. I said, well, let me have a read of it and we'll see about doing the podcast. And now I'm ready to start volume four. So evidently it struck an amazing chord in my, uh, in my writing soul. And uh, I'm very excited about this interview. I'm also really excited to introduce to everybody listening to this podcast, probably an author that uh, you haven't heard of, but by the time we're done with this, uh, you're going to be absolutely amazed that you haven't heard of him and read his books because I'm just absolutely floored with this. So we're, we're going to talk about his Ronin uh, saga and uh, how he became to be an author and how this could maybe help you along your way too. So welcome, Matthew. Thank you, John. Thanks so much for having me. And that was the best intro I could ask for. So I can retire <laughs> <Okay>. on that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Alex, I'm just, like I mentioned before going into this uh, show here, that I'm just, you sent me book one and then I read volume one and volume two. And then I was like, oh, come on, what happens next? And so, then I got, <laughs> so then I wrote to you, said, well, volume, because I said, well, when's volume three coming? I says, well, it's actually three and four are out. So then I immediately, this is like a week and a half ago. So I immediately went and, and read volume three. And then this morning, uh, or last night, I downloaded volume four and um, started reading that just to see, because that cliffhanger on the end of three, I just like, oh, come <laughs> on. So anyway, so just to start, you know, let's take it nice and, and easy grading here. So yeah. um, tell me how you got started as an author, you know, so other people can hear too, like maybe they're going to resonate, your story will resonate with them. So let's just start with that. Yeah, love to. Yeah, so I tell this story when I go to like, uh, like middle schools and high schools. I, I wasn't, I always liked writing, uh, but I wasn't, and I loved reading but I never imagined myself as a writer. I just was like, I'm a reader, first and foremost. I love fantasy. I've read every fantasy under the sun. You know, uh, I, as when I was younger, I actually wasn't even really a reader, uh, which is really interesting. I, I read, I think I read uh, the Redwall series and some other things like that. I read Goosebumps, you know, everyone liked your Arl yeah. Stein. But my mom would try to bribe me $5 to read a book and I wouldn't do it. And it wasn't until I found fantasy and I read, I think it was, I read Redwall, I read Martin the Warrior, and I loved it. Uh, you know, it's just this, a character which has kind of started the origins of my my writing and my worlds was finding a character who could like, was honorable and courageous and 
just the true underdog story was always, always appealed to me. Um, and so I read that, loved it, but then, then I didn't really read it again for a while. And then I read The Hobbit uh, and then I just loved reading, but I never wrote. So later in college, I was like, well, I need to make money. You know, my dad's, you know, you know, surgeon and, you know, you have to get a classic nine to five job, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do something sounding prestigious, you know? So I, uh, I started as a physics and astronomy. I was going to be an astrophysicist. Uh, so I was only a year in, you know, I wasn't Neil deGrasse Tyson. I was about a year and a half in. I was bogged down by calculus. Uh, <laughs> it was really bad. I was always okay. Everyone else is like, you know, crushing it, doing derivatives. And I was like, I was staying the two to three hours after class with the professor. And he liked me because I did like, he did martial arts on the side and I did martial arts. So we would like get along and chat. But otherwise I was always just woefully in the quagmire of, of math. But I sure. found myself right and i found myself um loving you know i was still reading on the side so whenever i would get a chance away from math i would just be reading you know uh, wheel of time or you know anything anything's fantasy uh but i started one day i just i needed a break i was just over overwhelmed by it and i think i just finished i think it was wheel of time for like the fifth time you know and i went out for a walk and i i just had this really in, i was living in oregon bend at the time it was kind of uh, really cloudy. <laughs> nothing, nothing inspirational about it at the time. No sunshine, no epiphany. But I had this idea of a story of this man who like lives alone in these woods, and he just needed. He heard the call of this like goblin, he heard this like strange, you know, like you know, kind of call of something wild in the woods, and he followed it, and it turned out to kind of be this you know goblin band, and he had to like you know defend the woods or something. Uh, all I know in hindsight. <laughs> I don't think I ever want that to see the light of day that I'm glad that that story is buried. Uh, but I knew I had to write. I just, so I went back with no, no ambition to like, you know, what I was going to do, but I just thought it was a fun story and I wrote it. And when I started writing it, it was like, you know, like two, like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And when I stopped writing, it was, it was dark. It was like six or seven o'clock at night. Uh, and I was like, Oh God, I have something here. And I, and I kind of kept it secret. And so for days uh, I would be writing uh, and I would just be like, doing my math homework quicker and better or worse. I can't really remember. <laughs> and uh, I'd come home to write and I eventually uh, send it to my mom. She's, she's, you know, as you do, you know, always need your one person to approve. Mom. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I, and then she, thankfully, as all moms do, you know, gave me the, Oh my God, it's really great. <laughs> Regardless of, of, of the, it's merits. And uh, I just kept writing and then I just kept writing and I just kept writing and I wrote about 150 pages and I, and then it kind of grew. Um, and then I started, I, I submitted to the local, I actually scrapped that whole story about 150 pages in. Cause as we yeah. know, the first 150 pages bad, so I rewrote it again. And I remember the, the next day I, I, I asked her, I was like, so I was like two chapters into the new stuff. And I was like, what do you think? She's like, well, I didn't want to say anything, but the last stuff was, but this stuff is finally, you know, uh, and that was still six iterations before the Knife's Edge book one came to be. And then, yeah, and then so I submitted a little short story to a paper uh, to my local university at the time. Uh, at, or it was a, I went to UCSB Santa Barbara, and they, they liked it, and it got published there. And they're like, do you have any more? And I was like, oh, just you wait. Uh, <laughs> I just, and I just never stopped writing. And so I had a lot of options from traditional to self-publish at the, at the time. Not like, you know, it wasn't like 
Houghton Mifflin was banging on my door, but I had some agents and things that were like that were interested. I got some full and partial manuscript requests, and I just decided to kind of just wing it, and I I published it and uh, 2014, and then it kind of, and then the next book, once book one t- started kind of started taking off a little bit, uh, and I'd read these reviews and the reviews in the morning would either make my day or break my day. <laughs> I spent eight hours a day and I finished book two in six months and then the rest is more or less history. Yeah. So, um, the subject of, of your storytelling, I got that, but now the way you're able to tell the story though, there's two things. There's two. One is having a story. The other way is being able to put it on paper so that someone wants to read it, you know, so you can have, a recounting of a story then you're as you're it's rolling out in your head but then how to do it so you've got the action sequences the the backstory the cliffhangers the, all that stuff there how'd that come into play for you i learned i guess every single part is 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 kind of uh you know there's a tapestry of how each puzzle got put into pit play uh uh-huh. as far as uh, the the fighting scenes and things like that. Uh, before I was able to finally do this full time, uh, and I was about 21, 22, I was a martial arts instructor. So I did that for about seven or eight years. Uh, and I always like, you know, gritty, fast, quick action scenes. Um, and so that was one puzzle piece that kind of came into play. And I kind of, uh, I try not to, you know, get too, uh, <laughs> I want it to be realistic, but I also wanted to be, you know, kind of caught in the moment. Um, and as far as the visual stuff, I did a lot of traveling. I was lucky to travel when I was younger. And so I, I kind of pulled scenes from my childhood and, uh, went to like Switzerland and things like that. But a lot of it was just as far as like backdrop. Um, I took a creative writing, I took a bunch of creative writing classes. I took a lot, mm-hmm. I like, I, oh, I so was, you did take classes to be able, I, I was did. just curious on. Yeah, I took in my college in UCSB. They had a creative writing, uh, like it was its own college. So you'd go there, but the problem is after about like, I was like, oh wait, why am I in? in I forgot what major I was prior to that, and I took a few classes, but every time I would take a class and I would submit something, like it was basically like everyone would read it and they go, this is amazing, <laughs> and I go, well, I want it to be better. Like how can I make it better? <laughs> and that was like it was just kind of like a everyone was just patting each other on the back. Uh, so I, I just went back to English as a major and then creative writing as a minor. Um, so, so much for calculus and saving the world from asteroid attacks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I leave that to better. To somebody else. To better. <laughs> you can leave that to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I do. I, I'm saving us from orc invasions if they ever come about. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> All right. So on, um, as you know, this is the Writers of the Future podcast. So part of what we do here is we want to provide inspiration to other writers that are looking to move up to the next level and not just have somebody say, hey, well, this is great. And no, this is, this is great, man. And you're looking at how to move up. So exactly. How did, what did you, you know, so what do you consider some of your steps that got you to the point of of writing your first 150 pages that you tossed to getting into writing your the first series was uh, the ronin saga right that was your mm-hmm. first series first series of the ronin saga yeah and then how many iterations did the knife's edge go through before it actually became what i'm re- what i read about uh about six or seven thousand pages so about like 
about ten, about eight, eight, nine or ten copies before it became the first book. Yeah, <laughs> threw away a lot. Okay, Citadel well, Fire. Interestingly enough, which is super odd, so giving people inspiration on like how how that happens. Yeah, book one was eight years of writing. Uh, book two was six months. I yeah was so in the moment and so in the characters' heads, and I didn't I didn't leave any gap. You know, it's like. It's like a dream, you know, you wake up the next morning, like if you wait a little while, you're going to forget. So the dream was so vivid in my mind as soon as I finished book one and, and just having that beginning and, and, and being able to say like, stop was such a reset for my writing abilities and my creativity. It was like, okay, blank canvas. Like, you know, when you're sitting there with your first book, you're like nudging a little bit of paint here and nudging a little bit of paint here and, and trying to erase a moment. But once once you put it on the wall and sell it for $5 or 5,000 or whatever, then you're like, okay, okay. I learned a lot. <laughs> just thank God I can have a blank canvas. Um, yeah. And the characters were just so vivid. So I just, that six months was, was awesome. Good. Now you've got a lot of um, storylines weaving in this and you got plots, subplots. Um, there's a lot of, it's not just your good guy, bad guy. You've, I mean, it is there. You've got very definitely, um, I mean, it's interesting because you've got the stories being told from the white hat, you know, the, the protagonist that way. But the antagonists are, it's almost like w- the way you lay the rules is 50-50. Yeah. You know, so, and it's, it's interesting how it goes like that because the, the bad guys have as much going for them as the good guys do. And you were coming into this story where the bad guys have been building up and working underneath the scene or around the scene or behind the scene for a long time. And they're ready now to make their big play. And so now you've got this Ronin saga beginning to newly roll out. So where'd this inspiration come from? Or is this just like, you had a dream and it was pretty cool that the clouds looked like uh, it, just, it was just there and you just started writing it or a little, bit, a little bit of cloud reading. Yeah. There's a lot of okay. cloud reading. I'll be honest. <laughs> there's a lot of it like, and that looks like a snake. That looks awesome. It was so many things. I think uh, I, I do love the idea. I feel like I've heard a lot of like, I love honorable characters that, you know, that, that that's fight insurmountable odds. So I, you're right. There's a lot of like, you know, saving, you know, kind of this, this underdog story of, of, of black versus white. But there's also, I, again, I was watching, you know, obviously I was influenced, you know, there's Game of Thrones and all these other morally uh, lies of Locke Lamora and all these other ones that are kind of these grittier, grim darks and stuff. So I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to tell both sides, but deep down I wanted this, like, I always thought, I always hear about the legends in the past and I wanted these young legends, you know, like, um, like wheel time and stuff to be, truly embodying their their kind of predecessors feet and being like okay these are shoes that are way too big for us to fill but at the same time it's like okay like whether they're good or bad we know that the, the night run and we kind of believe that they have this kind of we know it later in the book they might be good they might be bad but it's really this discovering of like yeah how, this evil's been brewing for a thousand years so i think i think all the mystery in the plot lines is a lot, I mean, <laughs> I'm like, I'm rambling, but most of it, a lot of it's pantsing. A lot of it was. I was curious, like, how much of this did you actually, you started your story and then at what point did you have a vision of the end of the story? I, 
I think you're, are you still writing book five? Yeah, I'm, I'm about halfway through book five right now. And is that going to be the conclusion of the series? It's going to be eight. No. Books. The original plan was nine elements, nine cities. So nine, nine books for each one of that nine cities. Wow. Yeah. So book one, book two, city of fire, book three, city of sun, book four, city of water, book five, city of flesh now. Uh, okay. That's where, cause I just, the patriarch just entered the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh my gosh. Okay. So, I mean, that's at the very beginnings, but then the end of the chapter, the patriarch, Lord of the Citadel and the most powerful man in the world. So there he is. is like, uh, I know he's got to come in at some point because he was, he's totally been this other than the very beginning when he sends our, our protagonist on his journey and sends him out, you know, behind or in front of, or, you know, on his own without coordination with the, with the patriarch, you know, I don't really know how those, those top three dudes work together, but yeah, yeah. Uh, three, I guess I'm three, finding out the three arbiters. Yes. The three arbiters. Okay. So now um, these characters, do they, are these people in your life that kind of like motivated you or inspired you at all? I'd say, I'd say a lot of people like that for me. A lot of it was just, no, like, you know, there's some, there's some moments of some sassy, uh, kind of plant, you know, over the top characters that have a lot of, but I would say if I ever met a Faye in real life, I'd be scared, you know. Uh, I was gonna say, like, who's Faye? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's amazing. Yeah, she's one of my favorites. And she just said, uh, takes the cake. Originally, Faye's such an interesting story that I always wanted, like, I really like strong female leads. She had no intention of staying around. I was, you know, she kind of played such a huge part in book two. But then I started getting all these reviews of people being like, oh my gosh, like Faye's one of my favorite characters. So I started like, and they're like, oh, I ship, you know, Gray and Faye together. So I ended up just kind of like, I was like, Faye is one of my favorite characters. And so she just grew and grew and grew into to this own entity. So yeah. the Thief Lords, and I always loved like the idea of like, you know, so now we have this battle on top of the land for the Nine Kingdoms. And then now we have the Thiefdoms below. So now Faye is this kind of like, yeah, kind of ringleader of the nine thiefdoms has been is kind of a fun interplay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, your 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 series, and like you've got Ezra, who's who's um, Gray's grandfather and and kind of like his mentor, and he reminds me of Dumbledore and Gandalf. So that, like you said at the, at the beginning, like you've you read all these stories, so this it's it's like a, a high fantasy, you know. These are the, the the five elements of a of a successful high fantasy. You need to have some, you know, person who's going to be able to counsel the young person. So, I mean, this isn't YA, but it definitely fits into a you know a young adult reader as well to be able to enjoy this as well as. That was one of my main missions. I really wanted, like, I read so much young adult, I'd read so much adult adult fantasy, and I wanted to find a way to breach the two. Like obviously one of my things is we've always, we all had, we're all young adults. We all grew up at some, so like we, that's one of the, you know, kind of uniting factors among it all. Right. I also just wanted to, so I, you know, these characters are 18, 18, 20, um, you know, yeah. Filling the shoes of these thousand year old heroes. And Ezra's a thousand. So you, you cover all both ends of the spectrum there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you have these kind of, yeah, over the top characters, but it was, it was, so fun to me. I've never seen a scene like usually you either see the thousand year legends at the very end of the book or you never see them or they're just talked about, you know, they uncover some sort of like ancient, you know, relic. 
but to see the nine knights, the nine road in the beginning and to get a glimpse of them. And so we're always, we almost have this kind of like, okay, we saw them at the height of their power. Now what can Gray, Ava and Darius and company be? But yeah, and then the trio came about because obviously I like, you know, like Dumbledore and Gandalf, things you said, like, I love a good trio. Like if you have, there's just something special about having kind of a, a main character who's trying to do the right thing, who's, you know, honorable and courageous. And then a side female who's, you know, usually the one that's smart and clever and keeps the other two in line. And Darius is the guy who says jokes at the wrong time. Uh, who's a little more like yeah. me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Then you got Wheel of Time too, where you got your three main characters there too. Exactly, Matt yeah. Going weaving in and out of their of their storylines. Matt Cawthon was very much uh, kind of a Darius. Uh, a lot of people yeah. who read Wheel of Time are like, oh, "I love Matt Cawthon." I'm like, well, I think you're gonna like Darius. That's actually out of the tattoos that people get of the book. Darius is the one that seems to be like the most. Like they'll get the leaf on their eye of a leaf, actually. <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> but there's uh yeah people get the leaf on they're like so how'd you come up with the idea of nine elements so i've always heard of like the wind water fire stone uh interestingly enough at the time that i started writing yeah, they call I, the wind mariah what's that they call the wind mariah <laughs> <laughs> and see i haven't like you know i i don't think i've actually read too many ele- there's so many elemental books out there but everyone's like, oh, was it like based off of Avatar? Was it based off of this? Was it based off of like, and I, I just thought elemental stuff was cool. Um, yeah. But I never heard of the elements of flesh or metal. I know. So those were kind of fun. And it, it expanded the, the, my world of elements expanded with your, with your, your book there. I know. I just thought it was so much more. I was like, like, you know, four, four, especially four books would be kind of the end and that was part of it, actually. I wrote the first book with no... I always visioned... I'd write the scene. So first book was very cinematic. I think if people are writing, this is kind of like one of my ways. It's like I'd always focus on my strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just reading, actually, um, in, in this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Writers of the Future, yeah. I was yes. reading a Writers of the Future thing. Uh, and it was an L. Ron uh, Harvard talk uh, talking about circulating. It was talking about like being in an environment to be fully immersed in it, to become like, and you know, knowing the, the baker and knowing the, the newsman, you know, the person selling your, your, your magazine. So you become fully immersed in what you're doing. So for me, my immersion was not so much my environment as far as like, you know, uh, uh, Kung Fu and all that. Like that was great. That was inspired by it. But my immersion was in like, what what can I what can I, what's one of my one strengths? So when I first started writing, I felt like my first strength was that's your Sith one now. What's that? That's your was it Sith was how do you pronounce it? Sit, my Sitwa? Sitwa. It was my Sitwa. Yeah, yeah, your Sitwa. My, okay, good. There we go. Okay, <laughs> this is the best, most intuitive. <laughs> it was my Sitwa, <laughs> my emotional connection, and so I use my Sitwa, my key, uh, which is just so you know, because no, I never heard that word before. He created it in his in his series it's it's a it's a key part it really comes into play heavily at the end of volume three of uh the ronin saga yeah yeah and uh and so in my knowledge my situa was was really focusing on for the first book my the, the visualization of it i saw right 
you see the cover of book one, you know, it's a character on this golden walkway and you know, he's facing off against a dragon above. And I can't tell you how many people come up to the booth. And they're just like, Oh my God, like the giant dragon. And they're just like half the time. I don't even have to tell them what the book is about. Cause they're like, yeah, okay. I'm sold on the dragon. So for book one, for me, it was very, very much. I saw every scene. I had to see the scene. And so it was kind of like, right my dream in that one was very much visualization. So I kind of like, it was my crutch almost in a way. It was very visualized, which is why people like book one, I'm like, heck yeah. But I think the characters really only truly gain life in book two and onward. And so my, my crutch in book two, I think was like certain characters, you know, and like just diving into Faye and Darius and stuff like that and having these. Right. And now in three and four, it's kind of like blending it all together. I think that like, if people, because rather than thinking, okay, like I need to be a master of background, I need to master uh, plots, and I need to master characterization, I need to master, you know, visualization, dialogue, and that's intimidating to anyone. So right. if you just focus on one thing and become kind of a nuanced, like a niche master, you're like, okay, my dialogue is going to be out of the world. And then I think you actually live up to that hype. So I think that's kind of what happened with me. I remember I, my, I had a Kung Fu instructor and he was like Sifu, you know, he was like the head instructor. And he was always like, I remember on like, I became an instructor, like after about a year, it was my dream to become an instructor. I'm wearing this red sash and like six months into becoming an instructor. And I'm still very, very new. And everyone's been there for like, you know, years and years. And he goes, everyone, I want to watch, I want you to watch Mr. Wolf. That's my you know, officer last name. And he's like, everyone said Mr. at the time. Uh, watches in close fighting skills. They're just superb. I can't tell you for the next year and a half training there, I was training every day to become the best in close fighter. Like I don't, and I asked him like three years later after I finished and I, and I eventually the next year uh, I won, like it's like basically grappling kind of wrestling. I won the gold medal for grappling and I won the next year grappling. And I won the next year. I asked him afterwards. It's like, I had this like epiphany. I was like, wait a second was I actually good or did he say that I was good? And then I became good. And I asked him and he's like, you'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) That was so cool. And I was like, so it's kind of like, you can trick yourself to be like, okay, look, I'm going to be the master of this. And then you become your own self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's good. Now, when we first started this thing too, I sent you some books. I sent you rise of the future, but I also sent you some of, um, Erwin Hubbard's fantasy books because he was Campbell, uh, John Campbell, who was the editor of Astounding Science Fiction and um, had said, okay, I'm reserving all of the Arabian Nights to you. So I sent you, uh, which book was it? It was. You sent me uh, Slaves of Sleep and Masters. Of Sleep. <clears throat> yeah, Slaves and Masters of Sleep. Yeah. You wrote those as two separate books, which we didn't publish as one. There we go right there. Yeah. So did you get a chance to read that at all? I'm halfway in now. I read some, I, I got sidetracked by reading some of the short stories. Uh, sure. This. Uh, I read The Unwilling Hero and um, a few other ones, but I'm actually really enjoying it. I like, it's been a while since I've actually, you know, in true confession, taken time to, because I've just been so audiobook lately, because I'll be traveling or. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I like. Yeah, the background's been really fun. I, I like watching his character grow. And the, the dialogue's so different uh, than kind of my fantasy that I was reading the last, like, year or two. And it's, it's there's so much, like, yeah, it's just, it's just much more 
eloquent in a way. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's like reading the tale of two cities combined with fantasy, you know, it has kind of like this, this, yeah. this, yeah. Yeah. He, as an author, you know, the slaves and masters of sleep, his composition speed was about 90, 95 words a minute. And he sold over 90% of his, his work, uh, first, draft first submission really? he sold most of his stuff that way yeah so that includes in slaves and masters of sleep and it's um he was one of the most traveled authors of his time because there was no i mean he was one of the first barnstorming pilots in the you know as in his youth when he went to college at george washington university but he's also a, a master mariner so he sailed by the time he was 19 already been to, to china a couple times and um he'd been all over the world and uh so he rubbed doubles with all types of people so his his characterizations are different because he's actually been there and done that he's yeah. he's talked to the folks he's been there with them and how do they react and this he wrote a series the last series he wrote called mission earth and all the actors that did it because we had over a couple hundred actors on the audiobook the audiobook is 100 so over cool. 120 hours long with uh there's nearly a thousand characters in the book, but there were over 200 actors that we had actually doing all the parts. But if it's people from different, you know, walks of life, different countries, we'd have them come there and do, and do the, the voices. And they said, this is exactly how, you know, a nurse in Turkey would talk, you know, wow. they were just like amazed, you know, like this, how he would handle his characterizations and whatnot. So I was just curious as a person, cause you know, your, your storytelling, I mean, I, I've read a lot of, of fan. I loved Anne McCaffrey, even though she swears she swore that she never wrote fantasy. All the stuff she wrote was science fiction, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, I used to love reading uh, fantasy, and this one, you know, this one I sent you then on Slaves and Masters of Sleep. He does have a way with with vocalizations and. A little bit goes a long way you know just back then too you you know writing for the pulps you learn to write word lengths they say okay i need a five thousand story i need a three thousand word story i need whatever it was and then he'd write the story to the request of of the editors and so he could do that he could formulate a.e van vogt i don't know if you heard of him or not as uh, he's one of the grand masters of science fiction from the golden age uh slan was one of his more famous novels but um he talked about how he watched Owen Hubbard write stories and he'd put uh, there's stories about him having butch paper that he'd roll up and just it would just keep on scrolling through but he'd be he'd look at the wall and he'd just start typing and as the story was playing out in his in his mind he'd be typing the story and when we released these books part of what we did was we we proofread against the original manuscripts and that's back in the day this is before word processors before whiteout and so what he would do was if you got to a point where it's like, oh, this is dead ends, he'd go back a page and he'd start again at that story at that point and then type through the change. Mm -hmm. And so it'd be proofreading. And all of a sudden you say, wait, I just read that. And then you go back and you piece it together and you find out, okay, this is where he's, he started the story again and took it into a different direction because the way he was going dead ended. Oh, and it was amazing okay. how, how he did this stuff. But he was, um, he was writing um, 100,000 words a month and he wrote um, a month. Three hours a day, three days a week. <clears throat> the rest of the time he traveled and built up 
you know, the grist for his mill. He had two typewriters that he would use. He'd type one until it broke, send that to the shop to be repaired, and then use the other typewriter and just kept on rotating them. And um, there's a lot of stories from a lot of the authors from that time period about how he, how he wrote in his, in his storytelling ability. But, um, yeah, I was just curious your take on it because you're, you know, I really respect you for your fantasy storytelling prowess. And um, so you're taking any comments you have to say about his fantasy writing. Yeah. Well, first off, there's so many things I learned just from that alone. A, I need, I want to travel more. B, uh, I honestly, and then I'll, I'll get into the actual content of what, what I read and, and how much I enjoyed certain aspects of it. But it's so funny when people come to the booth and they're like, what do you recommend on becoming a better writer? And it's every writer says it, but it's so generic and it's, it's, it's right more, you know? Um, and so much of what my stories and I'm saying I'm a pantser and it's, it's true because everything that I've written, it's just like, if it's good, it's because it's like, Oh, I wrote it. I wrote it again. And I wrote it again. And I kept writing. Uh, I think you, you, you tap into that flow. And so it's so clear that, that there's moments when you're reading this, that there's this kind of ethereal flow that, that floats above our head that we can momentarily tap into, you know, <laughs> uh, when, you know, Darius is quibbing and Faye is, you know, you know, you're like that, that just felt right. Like that moment felt right. Um, it, deep down, it's probably just our subconscious being able to like conjure up these moments, but it's, it's not getting in your own way and, and having enough craft to, right. uh, to, to allow that to, to come out. So yeah, so I, so before even that, I, I think that uh, writing more and just just being able to find any hour in the day to to get more writing is better. Um, I I really so starting with just the unwilling hero was 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 an interesting story because I read um, what did I read not too long ago? I read uh, it's very common. Obviously, it wasn't The Martian, but uh, the Project Hail Mary, uh, right? And, yeah, uh, weird. and it's so interesting reading the unwilling hero after that. Cause it's, it's a character who's unwilling to go into space to save, you know, kind of mankind in a way. And right. the, t- the ties were just, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's interesting seeing this kind of like modern sci-fi and, and, but also it was just, it was just a fun, quick read. And it was just like, um, it was cool. It was a cool take on the idea of, of, so much of what we we hear is of this Carl Sagan, you know, where pale blue dot were small and significant. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting on on that story's take to be like, we are greater, we are we are more uh, than we ever imagined. Um, In fact, I'm that's a good thing you said. I'm, I'm going to send that story to uh, Andy Andy yeah. Ware. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> have you have you interviewed him? I've, so. I haven't interviewed him. I've talked to him a few times at, at San Diego Comic Con, and, and his schedule just gets crazy. So I'm trying to get him. I've I've interviewed a lot of of these, um, you know, you, you know, these authors. If you look at the at the sequence, I've done. I've, I just finished posting episode. Just finished 250, and it's almost all different authors and writers going all over the spectrum there. But yeah, I've had, you know, Jerry Riddle. He, Ag Riddle was. Um, I've had interviewed a few times and um yeah you you I was looking through the whole yeah you you've had the like the, the, the gamut <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm so I'm, I try to hit everything I don't I'm not trying to focus on the A-listers I'm looking at uh, upcoming A-listers and the people that are just like what do I do now you know I just I wrote my first story and here we go and um 
sometimes it's somebody like that, that I just I just strike a a chord that I like, wow, I really like that person. So I want to interview them. Yeah. Nobody's gonna know who they are. And just I had one girl that her first book came out and the publisher said, Okay, I'm I'm good. And we did the the podcast and um her sales spiked. And so the publisher said, Okay, well, we'll do your next book. Right. You know, so that was that was really nice, you know, That's to be able so to, cool. to help like that. You know, so it's just it's it's all about you know creativity and, and providing that outlet for for the sometimes people say well aspiring writer what's that mean it's just for a, a writer that wants to be able to improve their craft yeah. you know and artists as well because I've done a lot of of uh, artist guests too like Larry Elmore who's the guy that created all the original artwork for Dungeons and Dragons and yeah. Dragonlance he, he's he's a lot of fun yeah. but um it, you know it's just when I read. I did an interview not that long ago with Roger Christian. He won the Academy Award for the first Star Wars movie. He's the one that created the lightsaber and the whole look of the Millennium Falcon and R2-D2 and C-3PO. That was his, those were his creations. And um, That's so cool. We talked about, uh, Joseph Campbell wrote this book called The Hero's Journey. And, yeah, the monolith, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so it was, he talked about how the um, Luke Skywalker was following that. That's how the movie was whole created was against that hero's journey. And then he talked about Johnny Goodboy Tyler and Battlefield Earth. But then I started looking at your your characters too, the hero's journey that they go through. And I'm definitely curious to see how it concludes at the end of book 47 or whatever it is when you finally <laughs> decide you're done with it. Um, just don't, please don't pull a... Uh, Jordan or yeah. Rothfuss? Yeah, or, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Jordan. Honestly. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to stay healthy. I actually have kids who were like, hey, look, uh, you have somebody else. Like, you know, you're staying healthy in case, you know, you need a surrogate to take over. Sanderson finishes everything. So I was like, you know, we'll see, you know. <laughs> yeah. When I interviewed Tom Doherty, he was the publisher of Tor. He talked about how he, you know, he, he found Brandon, who was a midlister at the time, yeah. and invited him to finish the, the series. And that just like propelled him into a, a new level. Yeah. A that new was, level. Yeah. Which makes sense. You know, you have like every single one of my friends in high school had read real time, you know? And so you have this, 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 you know, core fan base. That's just. Yeah. I was getting a little time up into about volume five or six and said, Oh, come on. Cause I have a lot to read as, as a publisher. So it became to me, it was, it turned into a, a soap opera, a, a fantasy soap opera. <clears throat> and then when it finished and it was okay to then, let's skip to the end I type thing. I was just, I can't tell you how much I agree with that too, which is so funny. Cause when you're a high schooler too, like you're, I'm, I was new to fantasy as well. So like it's, you know, anything was, was, was good. And there was like, um, and you go to love these characters and you have more patience back then and all these things. And now I can't tell you how many people are like, like I got stuck on book six or book seven. I'm like, Oh, I get it. You know, book yeah. 10 crossroads of twilight. Well, I love the series. Like, I don't think anything happened, you know? And so that was one of my things too. I wanted to learn from both my, my writing and from other people. Like I loved uh, that series, but I remember I was like, if only the story had like a core backbone. And so for me with the saga, part of the, the origin of the nine books and the nine elements was so much, I want to see gray go to a city like city of fire book two, boom, that's the core setting. Like, right. are, are we a mental picture of it? Now we have to find the next Ronin. 
And like, maybe that's, you know, it's not going to be super simple. Sometimes maybe the Ronin is, you know, right in front of our face, or maybe he's good, or maybe he's bad, you know, like this next. uh, And so all of that was this, was this uncovering. But at the same time, the bones were so strong because I loved Jordan, but I was like, sometimes I was like, okay, there's pantsing, there's pantsing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so that's, what's good about yours is like, you've got each book is grounded. And so it's moving forward. And now you said this thing, you've got your nine, you know, the nine Ronin. So that kind of, even though it's not necessarily nine books, but each one, I know that the story is not complete, but I know at at some point it's got to come together when the Ronin are there and either prophecies fulfilled or it's got to have some type of conclusion that's going to result in people going, ah, it was worth the ride. Exactly. You know, the journey, the journey took me all the way and I'm like, this rocks. Exactly. And all the pieces are coming together. And you asked a really good question earlier too on like, how do I put it all together? And I'd say like, well, there's a lot of pantsing by book three. I was like, okay, I got to plot this. I got to plot this sucker out. Like if I'm nine yeah. books, I have to make sure that all the, you know, threads of evil, all threads of good. Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's a war in Eldos brewing, you know, there's the nine kingdoms, there's the city of stone that hasn't discovered. There's a city of metal. There's a, you know, kind of these dark army brewing in, in, in the city of Euronia, this scrap metal. You know, so there's all these threads that I, I, on about like probably about two years ago, I sat down and, part of the reason why book four took longer, I was like, I should have done this from the start. I don't know if I would have had the same like chutzpah and the inspiration and you know, yeah. kind of the, the yeah. un, unmitigated self-confidence, but I created a Google document that was, you know, 200 pages long of every character, every scene, every, because I want to make sure that as, as the threads get closer and closer to weaving together, uh, that there's some really, that, that it solidifies and really good. and so I'm yeah and I'm excited for book four too for you as you get deeper in because there's some there's some threads that are more open but there's some threads that are starting to close too specifically yeah. with Bay and company so all right so um you definitely <laughs> you definitely have my attention on this thing so now um so now you've got the two gods that created this this world. So you've got, <clears throat> I mean, you've got the, the guy that created the two demigods or however that works, his two kids, the, the, the good and the evil yeah. and say, okay, good. Here's your, here's your playing field. Let the games begin, you know? So you now you got hunger games happening or whatever. Yep. So how did that actual, you, you conceived it, you starting like that, which kind of like, I mean, something like that, at least your playing field is way open out of the myth- mythology and mythos of that kind of happen. Yeah. So the origin of Renolin was kind of interesting. So um, we saw a little bit in book one kind of mentions of, of, a, of a God and something greater than that, and this kind of creator. Um, and I always like the kind of people guessing at where the Ronin came from, these nine legendary mythical heroes, you know, and the idea of this, like, you know, did they walk across the water? Did they descend from heavens? Were they birthed out of, you know, like created from nothing? And so... I still want to make people guess, um, but part of the, the the kind of the journey was was you know again this duality of light and darkness and uh, and who and also kind of wondering as as the story goes on like we have a lot of similarities like Fey 
uh, has moments of kind of like this dark goddess kind of like thing. And she's this whole, this whole idea of this master and mistress of shadows. So we're starting to wonder all these nine thief lords that live beneath the nine cities are all trying to accumulate power to become this master of shadows. And so there's this kind of not so hidden question is like, do they become this God themselves? Do they become this like dark God themselves? Um, and on the opposite side, is there someone able to become this like kind of light God? Obviously that's just the this, this son and the daughter of this, this true God. And so, so you got the guy, you got the, also the puppet master over Sithil too. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You got someone who's exactly pulling the strings of Sithil, you know, exactly. Who's able to remake him and create him. So this is a bad of, dude. He's a way bad dude. Way bad dude. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> but even Sithil was an interesting character because I wrote him and he was just, he's still such a bad dude. But even then I was like, I was not going to give him re- redemption, but that moment of seeing his past and why, like, you know, um, with his brother and, 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 and the atrocity of all that happened was, I was like, okay. He's just bad. He's yeah, bad he's to just the bad. He's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very unredeemable. Yeah. And poor Zane, you know, he gets, I think Zane, everyone feels so bad, you know, because, you know, book two ends with a little bit of something for Zane. And yeah. Uh, so everyone ends up feeling like he gets the short end of the stick a lot. So, yeah, so it was a lot of this kind of like, what are these deities? What role do they play? And if people can become them, like, were they just people of power? Like what, to what degree were they, or, or, or can people become gods themselves? And so kind of this question of bringing kind of the, either the divinity back down to the level of, of mortals or bringing these mortals, these great Darius and Ava characters to the, to the level of divinity. And so I've been, I like playing with it and kind of wondering like, who are these ultimate, like you said, puppet masters in the world? Yeah. Um, which always like because because you, you're even though the the scale that they're playing at is cities and conquering and you know things are really escalating now. There's still an other scale that's that's kind of untouched, you know. So even when I read these, I've been reading a lot of um, fantasy as now this lit RPG side, and I've been really enjoying the kind of video game components of these these worlds where these you know still magic and dragons and elves, but you level up and all this stuff. Um, with them, they do that so well. Whenever they always introduce this goddess who descends down in the first like book, because you're like, okay, you are an ant, you are a, a whelp. But if you read these books for the next twelve books, you might become this goddess who can wield this divine spear that can wipe out a civilization with a you know a sneeze. You know, um, so I love that kind of like, what are the heights that we can get to, and can we just glimpse them? Um, right. So. Okay. Well, let's. Hopefully, that was uh, uh, elusive, but also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I, I read a lot. You know, I have to just keep up on on this podcast, and I had this window, so I was able to. It was one of those things where I was able to have more time because since my last center, when I, I when I was at uh, recently at Frankfurt Book Fair and then meetings in London. You're traveling interviews I did there. I was traveling, but the interviews I did there were on the ground and with people I met there to do. So I didn't have to do any of the reading. It was one guy that does creates um, games, card games and board games. And he's from Portugal. So we did an interview there on the ground in, in uh, Frankfurt. And then someone else that um, has a, uh, an amazing, he's a, a top award winning 
uh, camera for for Nick. There they call it Nikon. Here we call it Nikon. Oh. And he's um, he's a photographer, but he also has a shop that he provides cameras for all types of of movie producers and has amazing stories with the movies that we've come to love as well as he had a lot of good stories about helping out when when Elwin Hubbard first released Battlefield Earth and Riders of the Future some of the stuff that he did back then I was like that was for me it was really cool and me for a really fun interview but that gave me time then to listen slash read your books and one read okay I got time I can do another one okay I got time I can do another one and then it got to the point where, okay, I'm making time to read this one. Here. Like, what happens now? I've got to find out what happens now. I'm like, it was, it really pulled me along. <clears throat> so it's a, um, you know, you're dealing with, with good and evil. Um, are you trying, to, I, I'm not getting it all in the book that you're trying to be able to lobby any, any particular you know, to be religious or not religious or political or not political. It's, um, or that you've got some type of an ax to grind. I'm not, that doesn't come through at all. I don't, I don't see that, but do you have any particular, like some people like to be able to tell a story so that, so that people can get an idea that, well, there's good can still over, can still overcome evil. You know, it's like, there's a lot of evil right now in the world. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of of people stirring and continuing to stir stuff up, which you see happening in your series. You know, that type of stuff happening. The underpinnings are coming out and causing the schism and, and people trying to break society and, and break the world. And, you know, the strong survive, the weak die, that whole mantra that goes on there. Yeah. Is there anything you're trying, is, is it any type of a message you're trying to, have as an undercurrent in what you're writing? Yeah, no, I think you said I think you said it really succinctly. Like, I don't want that to drive people away. And I've never tried to be like, you know, like I am, you know, religious or this or like one way or the other. I even have some readers come up and you said, like, you know, use you know, this or that. And I'm like, well, it, I'm pretty tame. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm not Harry Potter tame, but I'm definitely pretty tame. And I don't do that because I am really tame in real life or really wild in real life. It's because I really want it to be a medium for everyone. But yeah, I do have a bit of an axe, right? I mean, I'd say it's twofold. I'd say, um, one, I do think that you, you nail on the head with the whole, like the strong survive, the weak die. I think that, I think that's so easy to contort. And I think, I think the problem is that there's some truth in it. Right. Um, and I think that is the problem. Like ultimately, yeah. Like, almost darwinism it's like right but at the same time like it's just it just waters it down to the truth of it you know um and that it it takes away there's so many moments i I hope in the story that i do well where it's like there's moments of sacrifice sacrifice is not sacrifice is strength but it doesn't look anything it's you know it's you know it's 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 not like weak quote unquote weak people can can do these moments of sacrifice and right um so yeah, I think there's a lot of hardship in our world and to see, to have moments of hope, you know, to understand there's, you know, to try to keep it real, to have these moments of darkness, true darkness, these civil characters where you're like, okay, that was bad. This was bad. But to still be like, there's moments of redemption. Because so many times I read a book and I want to believe, you know, um, I think that's what fantasy is for. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to pick an ax, you know, um, 
throw anyone under the bus, but like I've read some fantasies where I'm like, not everyone's evil. Like moral shades of gray exist. I get it. Right. Like I like to think that I'd help someone out. You know, there's been moments in my life where I'm like, I'll see someone, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, here's this, or here's a ride or here's a butt, you know, I'm not going to like stab my brother in the back, you know, because it gave me five coin. So I really wanted that to, I really like, it'd be too hard for me to write just, you know, um, too much grim dark kind of stuff. So that was part of it. And, you know, but the other side of it was that when I was growing up and this is like a, like a really personal note, um, part of the reason I read fantasy was because I didn't really have an outlet. Like I had my friends, I had all this stuff, but I really didn't have, uh, for a lot of people, fantasy is, is obviously it's escapism, but it's, it's a necessary escapism. Um, I had video games and things like that, but I didn't really play that much, but I, well, that's not true. I played a lot, but I <laughs> played, <laughs> I read a lot. Too. Um, and for me, I didn't really have a very strong father figure. And so my, father figures were these characters and these stories. So I wanted characters, you know, I'd have both strong females, but I wanted the Ezra's, you know, uh, I wanted, uh, you know, these, these, these characters, these, you know, the Davari, all of them, you know, of course the, the red and from, even in book one, um, I remember reading even like uh, sort of truth and some other books like that, which have their, you know, faults and flaws and all this stuff, but they would say certain truisms, you know, these little, you know, I remember one of them was like, focus on the solution, not the problem. And I was like, just as a kid who doesn't have a lot and you're just listening to things and you, you soak in the stuff so much more because it's, it's coming from a, a you believe the characters and you're the riding dragon. So you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> so like, it's such a pure form of, of, of absorbing, you know? So I want, you know, whether you're 12 or 37 or 98, doesn't matter. I want you know, these kind of little truths, hopefully, um, right. To, to kind of seep in. So, yeah, I want some future role models, you know, hopefully I can do a decent job with. Some- no, that was good on that. That was, um, you know, that's something that, you know, I really enjoy. I said, I read a lot and I'm basically an optimist. So <sighs> while I'm not so naive to think that, you can have like the the one or two try fail cycles and say, okay, good. Now we got to the other end. You know, that's like that's like the level of Dick and Jane. You know, that I read when I was <laughs> learning yeah, how yeah. to read. <laughs> you know, so. But the other hand, too, I mean, I read. I keep myself up to date on on news of the world, and um, with updates and alerts every day, and it's. It's not a pretty scene, so I'm not necessarily interested in escaping to a world where the bad guys win, you know, yeah. where the good guy's ready to come in there, and here comes a, a rock that blows up the, their helicopter coming in to save, you know, the kids. Yeah. It's like, that's not, to me, that's not pleasure. That's not enjoyable. Yeah. So, you know, while I know stuff like that happens, I'm not going to escape to a world that just looks like what I've got already. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there's these, no one's ever read a book. Like, obviously, you know, I think ultimately reading a book is, is it, you're supposed to gain something out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what it's all about, you know. And if it's, if you need to learn that the world is harsh, then I think you can learn that anywhere. But for me, it's, it's really, even if the, if the world is done in such a harsh way, and I don't think any of my books, they have some real dark moments, but nothing 
I think the light is always there. But I've read some books and, you know, maybe in book six, book seven, there's going to be a moment where it's, you're taken to a truly dark place for a moment, but it's that feeling when you read a book at that 80 or 90% mark where you're like, maybe they can do it. Like maybe there's that glimpse of light, maybe they can. And then, and then they do. And you're like this chest welling sense of you. No, absolutely. That's, yeah. you know, like what's happening with gray is like, yeah. I mean, you, that went on and it was like, I knew he wasn't going to die because he's like your principal character. Yep. He's like the, the main dude. So he knows he's not going to die, but what the heck, <laughs> you know, and that last, that chapter title in the, in the end of book two was, was, um, or the end of book three, where he was, where then he finally then met up with, with Faye and the final moment. And he, yeah. Yeah. And he resolved. And I, you said it well, cause I mean, and it's interesting too, you know, while you, you asked earlier, you know, you know, uh, one of these characters, like, do they have real life, you know, do I have a fate in my life? And I'd say, I'd say if there's anyone like them, I, I'd like to be like gray, honorable and good all the time. Yeah. I'm often like Darius making jokes a lot. Um, but I'd say the characters do mimic some of the things I was, I've been going through, you know? So like book one was just like, pure exploration what's going to go on in my life who knows i'm 18 and i just believe in writing and i don't know what's going to happen i you know obviously right. a lot of ups and downs since 26 and uh book two is you know kind of like you know finding friendships you know journeying along and and, and you know making connections networking and watching a whole new world you're you're in the world of far haven for the first time you're in the world of magic you're going to the city of fire and what is this you know these clay buildings and these different people and all this you know this magic system of wind and water and fire all this is cool and then book three was like okay what if I, what, what's, what is writer's block? What if I can't do this? What is, so Gray's, and even like, um, you know, there was a lot of moments of doubt and, and it originally spawned from, I was like, it was more of like a creative writing standpoint. I was like, well, what do you, all good books say when the character has everything, take the one thing they can't lose and take it away. Like, and so for me, it was like, Gray finally found the definition. Like he can sacrifice himself for anything. But what he can't sacrifice himself is for himself because that's harder to do. He's like, why would I live for me? I want to throw myself on a sword for somebody else. So he had to learn for, to live for himself. And so that was, um, so it was kind of a combination of both finding out like Gray's fatal flaw and also like, can I still do this when, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm making it's truly quote unquote going to be a career now. Um, and so I think that's what happened. And then, and then book four was that my, an ultimate redemption arc is like, yeah, I can, you know, we can have our moments. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. It's yeah. so I've, I've just had so much fun with this series here so and I really was, you know, had glad we've had this, this chance to uh, discuss it because everybody's listening to this podcast. Hopefully you're like equally as um, enthused to be able to check out the Ronin saga by Matthew Wolf. So Matthew, can you please uh, tell people how to find your books and how to find you? Yeah. So, uh, you can see me at a con uh, if you had lucky enough to like like John does. Uh, any I go to a lot of conventions, but you can also see them on matt-wolf.com or actually we <laughs> we just rebranded. That'll link to this new one, but it's matthewolfauthor.com, uh, and that has all all the places where you can find me. You can actually get signed books on there for the same price as Amazon, which is pretty awesome. Good, um, and it's always nice that supports that uh, direct to the author. So huge fan of that. Um, I sign them and ship them out. And then otherwise, 
Um, Audible's a great way. If you listen to uh, Tim Gerard Reynolds is our narrator and he is amazing. I can listen to him narrate a phone book. Um, and he does book one through four. And he's going to do the books onward. Um, so audible.com, just search Matthew Wolf and you'll find me there. And uh, yeah, we have about, I think, 8,000 reviews across the series. So, uh, Which is great. And then also if you're um, uh, Amazon Prime member, that's how I've been able to download all your books too that way. So that's been very, uh, very nice to move through that. Oh, yeah. Amazon Prime is amazing. And uh, Kindle Unlimited, I think it's free. For Kindle yeah. Unlimited, um, if you listen on ebook, and and it's cool too because now that we're as the story gets bigger and as we you know even though we're, I still consider myself you know, so much room to grow you know there's moments where I'm like yay you know <laughs> some people message me like you made it and I'm like no not compared to so yeah. many other authors, uh, but it's cool too to watch it grow and watch um, like so much of the interior artwork and things like that. So if you guys obviously I love audio, but if you're a visual reader. Um, there's tons of maps and all sorts of cool stuff. So. Yeah, no, it's it's very cool. I like flipping between the book and the audiobook so that I can, when I have time to audiobook, I listen to audiobook, and then in between stuff, then I'll just okay, quick, I'll just go onto my phone and okay, here's the next chapter there, and then go back and forth, which is which works really good too. It helps. Like I said I need to like boogie when I get through these things here. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a luxury if I can listen to an audiobook. I mean, I I, I can't I can't handle it at the regular real-time speed i have to go to 1.2 which isn't that much of a but it makes a difference over 10 hours it's you know it shaves off a deal a goodly amount especially with a high fantasy yeah yes yeah <laughs> so do it but anyway yeah. yes but anyway this is this has been amazing and i really appreciate you taking the time here to uh to talk on this thing here it was a, it was a great find that lucy had when she when she met you at uh, san diego comic-con i'm glad you came and uh and found me at um Fanex. I'm super honored. This is uh, my favorite interview yet, so I really appreciate it. So Great. Well, thank you. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We're especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. And of course, to our, our um, other sponsor, United Public Radio Network, who has made sure that this uh, podcast is going out to, I think, 120 countries and is getting uh, between two and two and a half million listens per episode. So thank you very much as well. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you so much.